Greetings both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. So right off the bat, I would say that it's pretty clear that the crown is a far superior program to Vikings. It's just a better show. Yeah, I think the writing is probably a little better. The acting is probably a little better. However, and we've talked about before, the the differences in stuff that we look for in movies, I actually like... Oh, I, true. The, the visuals in Vikings are great. They yeah, actually... Like, I'm surprised at their budget. Right, but and like I... I am fully comfortable saying that The Crown is probably a better show, but I like Vikings more. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I both. I think The Crown is better and deserves all the accolades it gets, and then I probably do enjoy watch or no, I definitely enjoy watching The Crown more. That said, after just finishing talking about The Crown, I am way more exciting to talk about Vikings than I was to talk about The Crown. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd rather watch The Crown, but I'd rather talk about Vikings. Yeah. I love their approach to how they how they set up the show and built the show. So, yeah, uh, welcome to History and Film here. <laughs> so we started this whole thing. If this is your first episode of History and Film, you'd be wondering why we're not talking about a movie. We're talking about a TV show. But we did go through all of world history in chronological order. Then had a tournament to determine the most interesting person in history. If you haven't yet heard that, go back and listen to see who won. And then we've just kind of been, again, I hate to say killing time, but going through some other things. We just got done talking about the first four seasons of The Crown. And now we're going to talk about Vikings. And then we're going to get into American history this fall as we start another hundred-ish uh, in chronological order doing American history. So I'm super excited to talk about Vikings. I think it's kind of a unique show in how it mixes history and legend and then just pure normal kind of Hollywood quote-unquote invention right and it's kind of a neat hybrid yeah because there are there are a lot of characters that are 100% like not necessarily historically accurate but like we know that they actually existed in that part of the world at that time Um, but then there are some other people that are um, a little more kind of unclear whether or not they were actual people or just legends. Um, And then they also do the thing that happens in a lot of Hollywood historical accounts where they will change parents or they'll change birthdays or they'll change just different events, but like try and keep the broad strokes more or less historically accurate. This show actually does a better job than a lot of other shows but it as far as historical accuracy goes like don't watch this and then like expect to do good on your AP history <laughs> test <laughs> no right it's it's definitely one where okay that's a big change okay that didn't happen okay the timeline here is 100 years off but it's also one where oh yeah don't read wikipedia because you're going to get spoilers like right. if you look at the actual history or the actual legend legends the show's pulling straight from, even if it's not known or it's just a legend, they're pulling from a thousand-year-old legend and then putting it straight up in the show. So right. you can definitely get spoilers just by reading the Wikipedia pages on these characters. But also, on the flip side, uh, <laughs> don't think that the show's going to be boring and you're going to know everything that happens just because you have a solid idea of no, right, the right. history of of the Vikings or the history of like the Saxons at this time. Because like... There's some pretty big stuff that they changed, and even I, you know, which we'll get into later, but there were there were some events where it was like, oh, that's how they're saying that this happened? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roughly speaking, I would say what it seems like they kind of did is, I wouldn't say all of the Viking Age, but they kind of took, oh, I'd say 150 to 200 years of events i won't even say necessarily history because there is a lot of legend in here too but 150 to 200 years in events and maybe condensed it down into about 
40 years? Would you say maybe if you looked at season one through season yeah. six, is that probably about 40 years? Roughly 40 years, I'd say, yeah. Okay, okay. So so it's a lot of events that did happen, but over, over the course of well over a century, and they kind of had those events happen within about a 40-year period just to kind of fit them all within uh, the characters they wanted to do. Before we get into the show specifics itself, I did want to talk about kind of an overview of the Viking Age and Vikings themselves. What the show does do a great job of is, I guess, the vibe. Like, <laughs> yeah. this has just got a good feel for what life was like in the Viking Age. And I, th- I think they got it pretty right. I mean, they definitely, you could argue, focus too much on the violent conflict obviously that was a big part of the viking age but at the Mm -hmm. end of the day these people were mostly farmers and they do show that at times but it's definitely more in the background but at the same time who wants to watch a show about farming (laughs) 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 but then they also like a lot of the like religious stuff and just like general customs and social dynamics like a lot of that stuff is prevalent in the show which i think is cool it's not just like battle after battle you know we also see uh, a lot of day-to-day stuff, like everyday life type stuff. Yes, yes. No, it, it's definitely worth watching if you're into this kind of thing. So Vikings in general, there are, this is tricky because there, there are, one, there are a few misconceptions, but then also, even if you look at supposed authorities, you can, I wouldn't say there's necessarily conflicting information among some authorities, but uh, the one the one key thing here I want to start with is the term Viking itself. And you can watch some pretty good YouTube videos that will talk about, like, well, now keep in mind that the Vikings were more than just raiders. The Vikings were also primarily farmers and all that. But then you'll also hear people say, well, Viking wasn't the people. Viking was an occupation. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go Viking. And so the people were the Danes or the Norse or whatever. And then they would send a group to go Viking. And I think that's kind of more the truth of it. We just kind of associate the whole culture with this one aspect, not unfairly, because this one aspect was a major part of their culture and how they kind of grew their influence and got resources and set up new colonies was through these raids. So that is correct, but it wasn't necessarily like the person at home taking care of the kids was a Viking. They were a seamstress or a blacksmith and the right. Vikings were the ones who actually went on the raids in the show. Like they say I, the whole thing is the Vikings. Well, no, I'm saying in the show, they, uh, I, I can't recall any specific examples, but I'm pretty sure there are scenes where like even Ragnar, who's the King who we'll talk about, but even like his sons say, Oh, I want to be a Viking. Like they don't even necessarily consider themselves Vikings. Oh, really? And they're okay. like the kings. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but I'm pretty sure that was like a, a thing that like they want to grow up to be Vikings. Okay. Even though they are already being raised that way, and like they're the sons of the king, they're not necessarily considered Vikings until you're like it, it's like a rite of passage kind of thing. Okay. No, and I guess and and I would say if they if they did it that way, which I, I honestly I feel like. If we're talking about inconsistencies, yeah, there probably are inconsistencies in the shows because I feel like I'm also I'm also remembering scenes where they'll be talking about just the the farmhand wife and they'll be like, "Well, you're a Viking because you're one of us," and I'm like, "Oh, so I think yeah, I, but I think they, I think I think I think we're both right. I think they've done it both ways. Yeah, and I would say the the one you were saying is probably more correct to the reality of it. The the the, the culture wall definitely encapsulated or tied to these this Viking activity. The whole culture wasn't necessarily Viking because Viking was more mm-hmm. of a profession. Right. And and my sources, Viking museums I went to last summer in Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> on a uh, on a quick side note, and this make this really quick, but in like the some of the pictures that you have on there, they have like the the shields on the sides of the ship. Yes. And in one of the pictures, it shows the shields that are like. They have the stripes on them, and they're black, and then a kind of, like, dark turquoise blue. Okay, yeah. And those look, I mean, in the show, they use the same exact, I mean, it's like a different stripe pattern, oh, but the same yeah, exact color yeah. scheme. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure that that's intentional. I I, I think the show, because was this, I feel like I should know this, but I watched the show on, like, you know, Amazon. So, was the right. show on, was it, was it a History Channel show? Yeah. Which, I don't see how they, how does the History Channel have the budget for this? Like, 
the, the money was spent. You can tell. The, the production quality is pretty darn high. Yeah. And I'm surprised the History Channel, especially nowadays, I just feel like, I don't know, you don't hear about the History Channel much anymore. And they produce a show of this uh, production value is, frankly, remarkable. But yes, so I'm sure they were, even though we talked about, or we're going to continue to talk about things they don't quite get right, or things they kind of cut some corners on or change some history, it's still pretty well done. And yes, you have the yeah. shields, like you're saying, yeah, I'm sure that's no coincidence. I mean, you, I'm sure you have a, lot, a heavy influence of historians giving their input for this show. So it's kind of tough to tell where to start here. Let's, so let's go ahead, before we talk about the ships themselves, I wanted to talk about what historians consider the Viking Age and how that ties into the show here. Not to kind of do things out of order, but just, again, from the broad strokes of actual history, again, there's not like a, <laughs> the first Viking was on this date and the last Viking was on this date. It's, that's right. obviously not how real life works. But from a historian standpoint, if you're going to put up milestones, the most common milestone for the beginning of the Viking Age is 793. It sounds very specific, you know, not not saying about 800. No, 793, which is when the Vikings raided the Lindisfarne Monastery off the coast of England, or off the coast of Northumbria specifically, and, and raided that monastery, which we see in, see the, in show. the show. Yep. Yeah, it's it's this even like the second episode, right? Maybe third uh, episode. Yeah, it's right at the beginning of season one. Yeah. So. That event depicted in the show, a version of that did happen in 793 and is considered the beginning of the Viking Age. And then that continues for a couple centuries. And then what they consider the end of the Viking Age is actually 1066, which is a date that may sound familiar to many of you. It is the year William the Conqueror conquered England, although it's actually a few, I don't think if it's weeks or months, but basically before that, I think it's, I think this is kind of, it's Harold, Harold Hadrada. There, there was three guys kind of challenging for the English throne. There's the one, I guess there's the two Harolds, so I get confused. There's the one that yeah. William the Conqueror defeated, but then there's the other one who got defeated earlier that year. And anyway, as the, because there was Vikings who ended up having the throne of England. There, there was, there was Danish kings of England who were essentially Vikings, you know, Sven Forkbeard and people like that. So in 1066, when the last of those guys is defeated, even though he was kind of Christian by that point, they still they basically consider that okay, the Vikings have now all become Christian. They've lost their influence here over in England, and society just kind of shifted away from these raids and stuff enough. And the fact that they're all Christian now, we're just going to call 1066 the end of the Viking Age from a historical standpoint. But again, all these stuff, all all these things fade both in and out. There were Viking raids before the 793 raid on Linda's farm even decades before. But this is just kind of a good milestone because they started flexing more outside of their area, which is what the show gets into, which uh, which we'll get to. Let's go ahead and get to the little bit of the intro, the basics of the show here then, and then I'll come back to the the ships themselves. Okay. And actually, kind of how this timeline works out. So the main character in the show is Ragnar, and his, his last name in the show is actually different, I think, than his last name of the mythical figure or legendary figure he's based on. So it's uh, Lothbrook in the in the show. And I think the legendary figure is actually like Lodebrook with, with a D instead of a TH. But uh, yes, uh, Ragnar Lothbrook is the main character of the show Vikings. And he, again, is he's not invented. They didn't, they didn't make up Ragnar. Ragnar is a legendary figure from the Viking age, not a historical figure. So He's one that probably some version of this guy existed. Basically, the King Arthur. Think of like a King Arthur type where there's probably someone who these stories all refer to, but we don't have a lot of hard evidence if this was an actual person or if these are just stories or if the stories are making, you know, the exploits of five different people into the exploits of just Ragnar. But he's right on the cusp because a lot of people who are credited with being ragnar's children and we'll get to that you know more down the line here too are for sure known to be are historical right right it's like okay these people are historical and the legend is that they're they're the sons of ragnar but we don't know that for sure we basically don't know who their parents right yeah it's uh i don't remember if it was on wikipedia on his wikipedia page or somewhere i read that it was they described it as 
the historical accuracy of his existence is dubious. So it's like, there is some evidence that he existed, but also he might also just be a legend. And no one actually knows 100% for sure either way. But, I don't know, probably more legendary than, I'd say, like, 60-40 legend over actually existing. No, I I think King Arthur is the good comp. Right. That there's lots of stories, but not much evidence to speak of other than the stories. Yeah. Like, you can't see, like, oh, here's the tomb, or here's here's the evidence of this battle. Like, there's there's no dates, there's no... It's it's very, very soft. There are characters in the show that, like, you know, that we know existed in, like, uh, like Rolo, for instance. You can go yes. see his grave today. I did. Like you, ju- you just did, right, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, the... Can you see, is, is Alfred the Great's grave still around? Oh, I'd have to look. I'll be mad if I was near it. There was, there was so much stuff over there that I kind of just, like, lost track. Like, I think I told you, like, I, I barely even caught that I was in the same town as William the Conqueror's tomb and stuff like that. Uh, it, okay, it, it it is. I don't think he's in Westminster. Is he probably no, in No, uh... it says Hyde Abbey. It says Alfred remains. Uh, they've been moved several times. Okay. But they are, yeah, they, they know where they're at. Okay. It's in Hyde Abbey. Hyde Abbey, okay. Anyways. There are definitely people, like, their remains are around, that we know where their graves are, like, there is multiple s- historical sources that corroborate that they were in certain places at certain times doing stuff, but Ragnar Lothbrok is not one of those people. Right. But, and again, I, although I, I like that, again, just as a, as a whole premise for a show, you take this, it's basically the Viking equivalent to a King Arthur type, who may or may not have existed, and who there are tons of stories about. Hmm. And they made him the main character of a TV show about the Viking Age. Like it's it's a really cool concept. Like yeah. And uh, geography wise, it's it's kind of interesting though too. They basically this is another decision they made. They chose to set the whole series essentially focused on Norway or what will become Norway. Right. And they even call it Norway in the show. Oh yeah. They right. Which I don't know how. Probably a little premature to call it Norway because they 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 call. Uh... Like, they call England, England. They call Norway, Norway. But they call France, Francia, which I guess is, I mean, that's accurate. But then they they refer to Spain as Spain. I'm trying to think of, like, other countries. Oh, there's the slave in, is it season three or four, who is Chinese, which we'll get to. But she says, I am from China. Like, she calls the country that she is from China. Well... That's my might be the most accurate though. Remember, China is so old, <laughs> right? But they didn't. But they didn't call China China. They she would have called it the Middle Kingdom. Oh, gotcha. she would have called it something gotcha. else. But I, it's just I'm again. That's one of those like no one's gonna <laughs> know what she's talking about if she said like it's true. It, it makes more it makes yeah. more sense to do those little tweaks. But it is it's a it is a choice. No right, and a lot of stuff. That actually brings up a good point that actually I didn't really plan on talking about. But uh, I do like how they deal with language in the show. Yeah. And how basically, obviously, they're using English as a proxy language for whatever version of Norse or Norwegian or whatever Viking language they would have spoken. Or it's actually probably would have a form of Danish. And they're using English. But then if mm-hmm. they encounter another group that doesn't speak their language... Well, they don't just have them both talking English and not understanding each other because they wouldn't understand each other. They have basically, they have the English they run into, others speaking like old English and we don't understand them. Right. Or if we're doing a scene from the English point of view with uh, King Eckbert and stuff like that, they'll be speaking English for our benefit. And then the Vikings show up and they're speaking Norse and we don't understand them, even though right. there are characters who we're usually used to. Yeah. And you don't, you don't hear them both speaking English to each other until they're both speaking old english because the vikings have learned it or they're both speaking norwegian or whatever right. because the vikings so it's they actually handle it very yeah. very well and i there, think there are uh they, they have a lot of scenes that do the um the the uh, fade the hunt for red october fade yeah where they'll go <laughs> yeah, they'll, yeah, yeah. they'll shoot you know it'll be like two people talking like uh when they're in frankia so it'll be like one guy speaks french the other guy speaks french then they go to the guy that he was talking before and now he's speaking english and the other guy's speaking they're just like oh okay like we know that in in real life they're speaking French to each other, but so that right, we understand right. it, they're just going to speak English. Which yeah, is cool. Right. And of course, the language thing gets even you know 
we're talking a thousand years ago. It's like, well, it wasn't actually French and it wasn't actually English. And oh, right. And, it was all these regional dialects. And, and, and yeah, if you watch yeah. it with subtitles, they call it uh, Old Frankish. So, oh, nice. Okay. That's like an actual, okay. that's like Old English to us, where it's like basically a foreign language. Right. But well, I think we've talked about before how I mean, people were so spread out, you would have had all these regional dialects. And French specifically is just kind of the good example. So, mo- I feel like we just talked about this, but maybe not. So, like, Modern French is essentially just the regional dialect of Paris, right. and that other Franks all around, Frankie or whatever you want to say, would have had slightly different, all you know, their own regional dialects because that's how yeah. just like humans evolve. When you're you're not you're not covering a lot of space, you're just speaking the language with your little local tribe or local region, and then these things get. Oh, we probably, oh we probably talked about it with Richelieu and stuff, how things kind of got codified and with borders and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, so what is modern French was essentially just the Parisian Frankish dialect, and it got adopted nationally. So yeah. that those kinds of things were happening all over the world, obviously. And then, yeah, anyway. I did want to mention one other thing uh, as far as language goes, and this is a really small thing, but to me, and maybe just because I don't have enough exposure to the languages or accents from this part of the world, but whenever the Vikings are speaking English to each other. They have an accent that, to me, sounds like they're like just doing a bad accent. I actually mostly agree with that. It's inconsistent, or some are different than others. I think Ragnar's is actually kind of okay, but then, like, Bjorn's, when he gets older, is not good. Well, and some of them you can tell, because there are they have actors from different countries playing it so like right right there are swedish and danish actors but then there's australian actors and british actors and american actors and like sometimes they're you can tell their native accent like you you'll hear the aussie accent peeking through or you'll hear you know like uh an americanized word kind of like sound different than what another character would say and so they all sound like they're trying to do like just generic foreign accent and sometimes it just doesn't sound right but that also might be because I just don't have a lot of experience listening to northern, like, Scandinavian accents like that. I'm going to say it's both. I'm going to say it's both because okay. you saying that, I just, right off the bat, I'm like, okay, well, the best accent in the show is Floki. Yes. And that actor is from Stockholm. Right, yeah. So that makes sense versus, you know, the guy playing Ragnar is Australian. So maybe his right. is a little more forced and... I think there's probably something to that because I I think Floki stands out as having the best, most natural accent. And the other but one, it's almost like, well, that's not fair. He's he's from he's from Stockholm. Yeah, I was gonna say the other one too that I noticed that was actually sounded good is Harold. Is it Harold Fairhair, the other the king, the guy who said he wants to be king of all Norway? Okay, his accent to me sounded really good, and that he's a Swedish actor. Okay, so there you go. So, so yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's hard it's it's hard not to sound like the Swedish chef Swedish chef chef from the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just I don't know. It just oh, it, I'm going to go to Viking. They sound they just sound just it just sounds kind of silly sometimes. But yeah, but that's like that's such a minor gripe though. Like no, it doesn't right, right, take right, you right. out of it or anything. It's just something that I noticed. I don't know. Some, sometimes Bjorn would t- the adult version of Bjorn would kind of take me out of it. Sometimes I thought he was a little over the top. And he's American, I think, too, isn't he? That actor. Okay, and that actually, I'm not even sure off the top of my head on on him. He's a great. He's actually a really good actor and looks the part. Great. Yeah, yeah he's he's from. Uh, he's Canadian. Oh, okay. No, he he's got great presence, but I thought he kind of overdid it on the on the accent sometimes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so in the show, the whole idea, what they set up is they just have our Ragnar, who's going to become this legendary Viking, as a Basically, just a farmer living in. Oh, that's the one thing worth mentioning is Cadigat. Uh, so the main city throughout the whole show is Cadigat, Norway. That's made up. That is not, and I don't think has ever been a city in Norway. So for good or for bad, they just kind of chose that name, uh, which I'll get to where that name comes from. But it's not a real city, so they didn't like make it Oslo, or they and they just kind of chose Norway as a proxy for a lot of these things. <laughs> Cause even like the legendary Ragnar was actually more of like a Danish Swedish guy, not actually Norwegian. Even oh, really? his legend. Yeah. But uh Kattegat is actually the body of water that separates the uh, Northern part of uh, the Jutland, the big uh, peninsula part of Denmark from Sweden. Uh huh. There's just like, there's like a, just like a little strait of water. Yeah. Between there. That's Kattegat. 
that's where the name comes from. If if you go on to Google Maps, like I just did, to see if Kattegat is a real place or not, it just drops a pin right in the middle of that big body of water. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So they didn't invent the name. They took that name, definitely, you know, re- very representative of this part of the world, threw it in Norway. They actually never even say, they're kind of even soft with the geography, I think, on purpose. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that as well. It's just kind of, there's, ah, they're in Norway-ish somewhere. And yeah. when they travel to these places, it's kind of funny. We start looking at, oh, wait, so that actually would have been way over here. <laughs> I don't know if they would have gone there, but it's kind of soft with the geography. Although when they get to England, I feel like they're a little stricter as far as, okay, this is Northumbria, this is York, this is Wessex, this is Mercia. They kind of do a good job with that. But the Scandinavian geography always feels a little softer where they're, they're intentionally not telling you exactly where they are. It feels like, Mm -hmm. whereas when they go to England and even France and stuff, you know exactly where they are. So Ragnar is a farmer outside of Kattegat with his wife, Ligertha. And we'll come back to Ligertha. She is, again, another character who is not made up. She is another legendary figure who is, uh, you know, has stories a thousand years old about her. And the Earl is kind of in charge of the area. Earl Haraldson, played by Gabriel Byrne, who's actually basically the only kind of actor I'd ever seen before in this whole series, I think, was Gabriel Byrne Mm -hmm. as kind of the person in charge of Kattegat. They kind of do their raids every year, and Ragnar is just kind of bored with the whole thing. Every year, we just go pick on these other Scandinavian tribes. We go east because we just it's predictable, it's safe. We come out ahead every year, but he's just bored with it, and he wants, he wants a challenge, he wants adventure, he wants something more. And so the whole kind of first season, and well, especially in these first couple episodes, is that conflict between him trying to get the Earl to be like, no, 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 we should go west and see what's out there, find yeah. new places and new peoples to to raid and take their stuff because <laughs> we're Vikings. Right. And the Earl's like, no, nah, basically, I'm not going to invest in that. That's just, I'm not going to put my money behind a trip that might come back with nothing, which you kind of see his point of view there too. As far as I can tell, he is fictional. I couldn't find anything that said this Earl Earl Haraldson was based on anybody. I think he's just kind of the person they put in charge for the show. I don't I don't yeah. think he's based on a legend or anything. So in secret, Ragnar goes to his friend Floki, who is a shipbuilder, and wants Floki to figure out a new ship that basically without the Earl's blessing, we're gonna go west anyway, and I need a ship for my buddy Loki that can get us there. And I mean, that's kind of what happens. And then Flo- uh, so, uh, then real quick on Floki, he's not invented. He is a actual historical figure-ish, the name anyway. But not not for this stuff. Not in this capacity. Yeah. Right, 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 right. He's not necessarily... So they, did, they took the name Floki from an actual person, and it will tie into stuff we get to in like season four, season five, or even season six. And so we can kind of give me a get to that later. So they took the name Floki from an actual historical figure who does do things that this character does in like season five. Is that maybe a way to say it? Yeah. But this version of Floki is just kind of invented for the show and making him this uh, great shipbuilder and friend of Ragnar and right. all that. He's also like, he's one of my favorite characters in the show, Floki is, because he is, in addition to the shipbuilder, he's also kind of like a little unhinged. Yes. A little yes. kind of like got this crazy look in his eye all the time and yeah he's fun yeah yeah he's always he's, he's always got like the heavy eye shadow around yeah. his eyes and just well, uh, and even yeah even he'll do like he'll draw like the big like lines going down his face from his eyes too like he always yeah, he always yeah. has some, like crazy hairdo like he's a fun character i really like floki he's kind of the punk rock uh viking yes. uh, yeah. yeah i get a little annoyed with him later with how anti-christian he is but you see where he's coming from, I guess, though, too. Yeah. Well, and he is, uh, he's played by uh, one of the Skarsgards, one of the Skarsgard brothers. Oh, wait, what? So yeah. he's the one I was saying has the best accent. He's from Sweden. Is he actually a Skarsgard? Uh, yeah, Gustav Skarsgard. Like, he's, it's, that's related? Yeah, like, so Stellan Skarsgard is his dad. And, like, what? Alexander Skarsgard is his brother. And, uh, what's, is it, is it Bill Skarsgard who's the one that plays, um, yes, you're right. I completely missed that. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I watched that whole series and didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he's, a uh, he's legit. <laughs> yeah, Bill, yeah, so, Bill Skarsgård, who is Pennywise in the new It movies, Alexander Skarsgård, who you've seen in probably a bunch of stuff, 
and then uh, right true blood yeah true blood yeah then there's a another brother that i've never heard of uh named Walter, but huh i don't recognize any of these movies that he's been in but he's sweet another swedish actor and their dad was in like goodwill hunting yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah yeah among other things I can't believe I watched that whole show and didn't know Floki was a Scar <laughs> Or I well, saw the knew, name. I was you knew he was from Sweden, though. Well, I guess, honestly, I just assumed Skarsgård was like Smith in Sweden. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm looking on the page that says he's Swedish and not looking down two inches where it says his dad is still in Skarsgård. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know to be fair though like when it comes to swedish actors like gun to my head wait is it just them or they the oh, i was gonna say get, name a swedish actor that isn't a scars guard i i have no idea <laughs> yeah yeah they're pulling that trigger yeah uh well no i would have been like the guy from vikings the guy like, from no. Vikings. <laughs> no it's he he is too <laughs> where's uh where's jamie lannister from oh is he swedish well I'm asking where he's from. <laughs> he might be Danish, actually. Nikolai, uh, Nikolai, something, something. Nikolai Kosterwaldo <laughs> yeah. is from. He's Danish. Okay, not to offend. So it was crazy. So I was just over there. What you don't realize is <laughs> we definitely have a tendency to be like, oh yeah, just Scandinavia. They're all roughly the same thing. <laughs> they all speak <laughs> roughly the same language. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Denmark and Sweden is kind of like Ireland and Great Britain. Like, they oh kinda, yeah, don't confuse them with each other. <laughs> There's a really good um, CGP Grey video. I think it's just called "What Is Scandinavia." Oh, but yeah. he talks about yeah the wars between it's yeah Denmark and Sweden. And there's like he like lists out all the wars and how long they were, and it's it's like hundreds of years worth of war over the last thousand oh. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's, I mean, nowadays it's it's peaceful, but it's it's now you know, it manifests today in you know soccer rivalries. Sure, <laughs> right, yeah, it is a rivalry. <laughs> so don't be confusing your Danes with your Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> so the other major figure that we've kind of peripherally discussed, and this is another just decision they made in the show, they made Ragnar's brother the historical figure Rolo, and this is a bit of a stretch, frankly. Even if Ragnar was real, he wasn't Rolo's brother. Like, there's the timeline is completely off. Yeah, well, because Rolo is so like they do the raid on the monastery in 793, and Rolo I don't think is born until the mid 800s or something. Right, fifty to sixty years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rolo was not Ragnar's brother, and he was not on the raid to Linda's farm, but. He is one of the major historical figures in this whole show. Yeah. And we do later get to things he actually did. So kind right. of like what we said with the character of Floki. So again, that's where the show is kind of unique. It pulls these characters, twists whatever they actually did to fit the needs of the show and the narrative and just to kind of make it a you know more dramatic program. But they don't completely invent things. And then we do get to the stuff actual Rolo actually did. So I, I, I like the mix. Yeah. We'll kind of get later, I guess, to what Rolo ends up doing. The the spoiler alert, just because we've talked about it a million times before. Rolo is an ancestor of Queen Elizabeth II on the throne today. You know, whatever, her 27 or whatever times great-grandpa. But Rolo is a direct descendant to the royal of... Sorry, I always get that backwards. Rolo is a direct ancestor of the royal family today. And he is a character right from the beginning here in Vikings thrust into the role of Ragnar's brother. And a lot of they kind of just, they deal with uh, them kind of this jealousy of Ragnar being the quote unquote, not or the good one or the, the popular, famous, successful one. And Rolo never being, or kind of always being in like the shadow. Second fiddle to yes. Ragnar in the first few seasons. Right. In kind of everything he does. Yeah. And so he's only, he's kind of resentful that his brother is always in the limelight and Rolo feels just as capable and always, always, yeah, like you said, second fiddle or in, or in Ragnar's shadow. But again, that's all invented because <laughs> Ragnar may not have even existed. And if he did, Rolo was, well, after this, like you said, it wasn't born for 60-ish years after the raid on Linda's farm, yeah. let alone participating in it. So, yeah, so they do go. Let's actually pull up some specifics maybe on the raid at Linda's farm. So kind of kind of the reason this is known and considered the beginning of the Viking Age is it's just kind of the first big Viking raid 
that was extensively written about. Like we have records of the English and the monks and everybody writing about this incursion. And so we have the date because they were writing about it at the time. And uh, actually, there's even actually a quote here on the Wikipedia page uh, saying that this one was uh, particularly significant. It attacked the sacred heart of the Northumbrian kingdom, desecrating the very place where the Christian religion began in our nation. Yeah. It looks like this wasn't um, necessarily the first Viking raid on England. It was just like one that was really significant because they attacked the church and killed a bunch of monks. Right. So it says that in 789, there was another raid um, that a historian... Uh, off the North Umbrian coast that a historian or a, uh, somebody at the time wrote about saying three ships of Northmen landed on the coast of Wessex and killed the King's Reeve who had been sent to bring the strangers to the West Saxon court. And then four years later was the 793 raid. There's a, uh, I don't know who this is quoting, but it says heathen men came and miserably destroyed God's church on Lindisfarne with plunder and slaughter, which that's a pretty good description of what we see in the show. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, so even the museums I visited last summer talk about the 789 thing is known. It was a Viking encounter. Mm -hmm. But then even those museums would say, yes, but four years later is the start of the Viking Age still. So even though it's just kind of a soft thing, yeah, it was more just kind of an encounter. They killed that one guy, but it wasn't like this big kind of monumental sacking of a church. It was more just like they landed and then killed a dude, like you said, that was supposed to come uh, be the envoy. I was going to talk a little bit about Northumbria itself. So so we get more into this later too, but Northumbria is kind of the first English kingdom that we meet here. And just like all over the world, England was once divided. And so England also gets tricky because what is England? What is Britain? So we've talked about it before. You have the British Isles off the northwest coast of continental Europe. The largest of those islands of the British Isles is Great Britain because it is the largest of the British Isles. So is Great Britain. It's just the name of the geographical body that is that island. What we call England today is kind of the southern part of that. So not Scotland in the north, not Wales off to the west, but kind of the rest is what you would call England, which today is part of the country of the United Kingdom because it includes the you know, Wales, Scotland, and England that are all on the island of Great Britain, but then it also includes Northern Ireland, which is on a different island, the island of Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but before even England, the kind of south and central part was unified as England. It itself was subdivided into smaller kingdoms, and again, more than we're ever going to get into here, but the three main ones of those and that the show deals with are Northumbria, Mercia, and Wessex. Mm-hmm. And Northumbria, not surprisingly, is the one in the north, right. but that still does put it south of Scotland. Yeah. And actually, the historical Northumbria even actually includes parts of modern Scotland. But mm-hmm. yes, basically, as England kind of bottlenecks there as before opening back up to Scotland, roughly that's kind of where your Northumbria yeah. is. And then the Linda's Farm is in a, this monastery just off the coast of Northumbria. Right. Probably don't need to go any more into the history of Northumbria and how it used to actually be two other kingdoms that combined into Northumbria. And anyway, so there's, it is kind of interesting, but you know, we only have uh, so much time and there's a, there's a lot to get into, but yes, that's, that's what Northumbria is. And that is kind of the first English region that, that we're dealing with. For the purposes of the show, the only geography that you really need to know as far as the English kingdoms is Northumbria is on top, Mercia is in the middle, and Wessex is on the bottom. So think of it just kind of like three countries that are all kind of stacked on top of each other. That's because like they simple enough, yeah, yeah. right. And so that's like you see the rivalry between King Eckbert in Northumbria and King Ayla in Wessex, but it's kind of nope. You you switched them. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King Ayla in Northumbria and uh, King Eckbert in Wessex, and then they have there's the Kingdom of Mercia that's between them, and that's kind of the buffer country that then plays a a big role later on um as far as like who gets control of that right and that's and that's yeah that's more season two season three stuff but yeah right but i'd say that's just like as far as yeah geography yeah northern bria on top mercy in the middle and wessex uh, underneath the other one i think they do mention though is uh east anglia yes which again is another one that's again probably under the control of the others but it's kind of off to the 
east it's of both east Mercia of... and Wessex, I think, be the easiest yeah. way to say it. Yeah, right. yeah. Yep. Because that comes into play with uh, the Dane law and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, and honestly, frankly, one of my notes on this was we do enjoy talking about the show and love its ties to history and legend. Mm-hmm. But this is still going to be fairly superficial because the deep dive would be its own dedicated podcast taking years to parse all this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have no doubt that the two of us could probably do an entire like two hour episode just on the geography, like just on the geographical stuff that they talk. About. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, this is a uh, fairly superficial just kind of something if you if you've seen the show or not i i do think it's kind of just we're, we're going to give a continue to give a kind of an overview here but there's you could definitely just basically keep digging i don't there's i'm trying to think what to compare it to like there's 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 just always another layer going all the way back to the raid uh one of the things in the show that is probably one of the bigger events is in this raid they kill a bunch of monks but they also pick up a monk yes named Ethelstan. Right. Who is a... He's a fictional character. Right. Completely fictional, yeah. Now, there is a... Well, they take the name from... Yeah. Anglo-Saxon Ethelstan King, like, from later on down the line. I think it's right, a couple right. years later. But this Ethelstan, like, a, an English monk who's captured by Vikings and ends up being basically, like, he's a slave, but then he turns turns into the, uh, Ragnar's friend and he serves as an interpreter during later trips to England. All of that is made up for the show. Right, right. Uh, but that is kind of an, one other big event that happens during this raid is they capture uh, Ethelstan. Right, because he becomes... It's kind of cool, too, because, like, you don't really... You don't realize that, like, oh, this random monk they ca- uh, captured is going to be one of the major characters of the show for the next few seasons. Yes. So, so I thought that's a really cool way to introduce a character yeah. to a show. And we and we get to see a lot of the Viking culture through the eyes of this... Uh, this monk Athelstan, right? It's a it's a really helpful narrative device because we the audience. This happens right at the beginning of season one, and so we the audience get to learn a lot about the Viking culture. And there's a lot of stuff explained to the audience and kind of expositioned to the audience that in the show is just stuff that's being explained to Athelstan because he's this fish out of water slave who doesn't speak the language and is completely unfamiliar with this culture so a lot of the stuff like when they're explaining religious things or cultural things about the viking vibe uh like he said earlier it there he's the one that they're explaining all this stuff to and just kind of watching the time here i think the last thing that we'll talk about this episode basically we, we want to do two episodes per season of vikings that's kind of our plan here so I got one more thing I want to talk about for this episode, and then I think we can kind of finish up season one uh, in the next episode. Okay. So I wanted to talk about the ships themselves. Gotcha. So why did the Vikings, these isolated tribes up north, how were they able to have such influence? Because we haven't really got to it, but the extent of Viking influence is remarkably vast. Vikings, and we see some of this in the show, but some of this we don't see in the show. But the Vikings, I mean, you've, people have heard about, you know, them heading out in, you know, Iceland and Greenland and even, you know, having uh, contact with North America. That happened, We and we'll get to that in the show. I remember in the show, in the show they actually go down to the Mediterranean. I'm like, this seems crazy. I'm like, nope, the Vikings did go down to the Mediterranean. Yeah. Which I never knew that prior to watching the show. Right. They also went down, like, to the Black Sea in, like, Constantinople and stuff. So their ships were able to go down rivers. And when we get to the Raid of Paris and them just sailing their ships right up the Seine to Paris, yeah, that really happened. Mm -hmm. So their ships were uniquely suited to these purposes. And so basically their ships were super fast, super light, and could go into super shallow water. So you could take an army. You didn't have to just sail around in the ocean to the coast. You could literally sail up the rivers with your entire army. Right. And that was a game changer. No one before yeah. that was doing that. You couldn't take an army up a river right. until you had these Viking ships. And as a uh, as a former Marine, it was cool to see all of the like amphibious landings that they were doing, mm. you know, where they were just, they'd run their ships basically right up onto the beach and hop out and start chopping. <laughs> yes. So basically... The the origin of the ship, they started as just kind of, again, historically, as far as Viking technology goes, 
it started as nothing more than, you know, canoes like the Native Americans had, which is kind of these hollowed out trees that were that were canoes. And so those were very pretty, had pretty, could go in shallow water, of course. As the technology evolved over the years, the way I understand it is it was kind of a combination of these rudimentary canoes, but then also when they started having contact with the Romans and learning how the Romans built their ships, that they kind of started to borrow some of Roman ideas with how you made the side planks. So obviously a Viking ship is not a hollowed out tree. Mm-hmm. It actually is now planks of wood layered in such a way, but still with these kind of shallow keels. And you think about the timing of that, you know, by the time the Romans would have kind of fallen away in the 400s, and then over a few hundred years, the Vikings kind of borrow from those ideas and kind of keep evolving their ships. And then at some point, finally putting sails on them before they just kind of had paddled canoes, but then they put sails on them. And so these ships became insanely fast for the time. So just, you know, just think about that technology building to the quote unquote breaking point where you get to the late 700s. And now these ships are perfect for fast raids. And you just, yeah. you could just basically get ambushed in your own home because the Vikings could just sneak up on you so quick, take your stuff and then leave just as quick. Yeah. So the the ships were a game changer. It was something that you that you would see at least in the show, and I don't know how historically accurate this is, but I don't know of any other group that was doing this at the same time. But like you said, the Vikings ships had sails and oars, so like mm. they could be, you know, when they were going down the river, they were going like with the current, and they have a sail up, and they're rowing with oars. So it was like they're just going. Crazy fast for the time. Crazy fast. Well, and I think you would have had that. You think I think of something like Ben Hur. You had those kind of ships, but they were they were too big. Right. The fact that the Vikings had that speed in these small ships, and I say small, they had various sizes. I mean, but a a say a normal kind of warship might be able to hold sixty to a hundred warriors and go crazy fast and in crazy shallow water. Yeah. So I think they, there were bigger ships back in the day that had both sails and oars but they couldn't go up river because they were too big. Gotcha. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, that's kind of my story anyway. So they even call them like the long boats. So like mm-hmm. the whole idea is that these are big ships and they got bigger by being longer, not by being wider and therefore deeper. Yeah. Basic boat technology for those who aren't aware. <laughs> the whole idea is why do, why boats float? Is uh, you have to displace more than your weight in water. That's how things float. If the If the water you move out of the way weighs more than you, you float. Right. <laughs> That's how boats work. Yes. Welcome to History of Film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, so yeah, that, that was kind of the game changer. Uh, the, the, uh, it was kind of neat. I, did, I, I don't know if you saw all the pictures I kind of sent there, but the specifically in, in Roskill, there was, I, went to, I went to three or four Viking museums when I was in Scandinavia last summer, and there's uh, one in Roskill that's specifically, not just a Viking museum, it's a Viking ship museum. Like the whole museum is just for Viking ships mm-hmm. specifically. So it's kind of based around, they have the ruins of these five ships that were, they were actually scuttled, so sunk on purpose for whatever reason, just to, you know, keep them from the enemies, or you didn't need them anymore, whatever, I forget the reasons, or they don't know the reasons. Um, so they, they dug them up, <laughs> dug them up, they r- raised them up. Mm-hmm. They're not in very good shape, but you can kind of tell we have the pieces of these five boats that were sunk, you know, about a thousand years ago, which is really cool and all that. But then there's what this museum does, yes, they have those five ships on display, But then also they have a whole like old school shipyard where they have a crew of, I keep forgetting the term for it. Basically, it's a branch of archaeology. It's like engineering archaeology. Like you learn about the past by trying to do things the way they did it. Hmm. So this in the shipyard, they're building replicas of these thousand year old Viking ships using just the tools the Vikings would have used. And so you're trying to learn, okay, let's do it. Let's let's build a ship the way the Vikings would have, and actually to the exact specifications that these ships we raised up are. And so they just kind of go through. You can see the picture of this ship I'm sitting in, if you look at that, is a exact replica of one of the ships they dug up that they yeah. made at the shipyard at this museum. So, I don't know, just kind of a cool concept, I thought, and, again, and kind of a, a new area of archaeology I hadn't thought about where you're literally just learning about the past by replicating it because the big one is vikings didn't use saws it was all just axes and things like that they actually didn't have saws which seems yeah crazy to me 
but they're they're confident. Like mul- multiple things, we're talking about how yep, no sauce, no sauce for the Vikings. Right. And we see a lot of uh, there's actually a a decent number of scenes in the show where we see Floki building boats. And you're right, we never see him use a saw. He you know he has the you know the long piece of wood. And then he's using like a chisel or like a planer to just take off whatever he doesn't want there mm-hmm. to then shape it into however he wants it. Right. But yeah, no, no saw, which is is crazy. But like that's that that was a cool detail I thought in the show because like who would be watching Vikings and see someone using a saw and be like that's historically inaccurate? <laughs> like no one would probably care if they. Oh did. right, no one would no one would uh, question but it. It's yeah. just you know an, an extra little detail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess, and I guess the last one, just because it's one more misconception that we'll end with here, although the show and the show doesn't mess this up, the show gets this right, of course, is Vikings did not have horns on their helmets. Right. It's you know the Minnesota Vikings having the horn on the side of their helmet. Yeah, yeah. Vikings didn't have horns. A lot of that comes from like the Wagner operas and stuff, mm-hmm. where the fat lady singing with the horns, you know, that's all that kind of stuff. They had horns for that. And then also, I do think there are old Norse stories that predate the Vikings. So like. There were ceremonial helms that had horns on them and stuff, but not Viking, like hundreds of years before the Vikings and, right. and not as like a common thing, more as like a ceremonial thing. Yeah. And I think in the operas they did Viking or like horns were the bad guys and wings on the helmet were the good guys. Oh, okay. So it was more just like a, it was like a visual thing for the audience there. Cause it's like, it also comes from like artwork too, but artwork that was like several hundred years after the fact where they would be depicted wearing these right, helmets right. with horns on them. Yeah, Vikings never had. No Viking helmet has ever been dug up with horns on it, period. Right, and a giant horn on your helmet is just a giant handle that someone can use to control your head. Yep. Which is not something that you want when you're in hand-to-hand fighting (laughs) with swords and axes. Yes. Yeah, you don't don't want it easier for people to grab and twist your neck. Yes. Yeah, it is, uh, yeah, it's it's intimidating, but it's, uh... Not practical. Actually, if you're going to do it, you do it the way the Minnesota Vikings do, where it's just painted yeah, exactly. horns on the side right. yeah, exactly. that are yep. not actually grabbable. Okay, so yeah, we will we will continue talking about season one of Vikings and then kind of continue doing that. Uh, we want to do two episodes per season, so that'll end up giving us about 12 episodes uh, on Vikings here before we get started with American history this fall. So yes, uh, stay tuned, and we will continue talking about season one of Vikings next time. 